Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin, bracing for another weekend of unsanctioned homecoming parties around Mac. Also learn about the Mohawk Institute Residential School, a resignation in the house, a Grey Cup Week superstar, a mega lotto jackpot, impressing the Lions, and Y108's Ontario Swinger Story. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. This is Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with Sean Van Kunit, the Associate VP of Students and Learning and Dean of Students at McMaster University in Mac and the City of Hamilton and Hamilton Police collaborating, working together to discourage unsanctioned street parties. We've seen these from time to time, and here to talk about it is Sean Van Kunitz. Um, Sean, welcome to the show. Why why reach out to students to say, hey, enough of this? Well, we know that uh, large uh, crowds that, that gather, whether they're students or others, they, the larger the crowd, the, the larger the risk. So uh, we're trying to discourage that type of activity, and certainly uh, Students are, are going to socialize, but that type of gathering uh, is one that we, we try to discourage because of the risks involved, uh, both to those who are attending the party, uh, the, those types of parties, and, uh, and to the surrounding neighbours. Is it fair to say that more police officers or more bylaw officers are going to be in and around campus at, at this time of the year going forward? Yeah, well, I know that uh, HPS and, and, and bylaw are, are aware of the... the uh, Date this coming weekend on Saturday that uh, we, we know that, that there's going to be the so-called fake homecoming call, uh, happening. So um, they they have ramped up and there there it's a plan in place to to try to uh, minimize the number of attendees and to try to uh, enforce the nuisance uh, bylaw that the city's put in place. We've had some uh, big and boisterous parties in the past. Um, in terms of planning, is, is Mac doing anything different than this year compared to last year? Uh, I wouldn't say it's, it's different. Uh, we get out, uh, especially the week before, so this week, uh, with our communications plan to students. I'll be actually in uh, the neighborhoods uh, on Thursday trying to talk to students there. So we, do, we make our, our best efforts uh, and in collaboration with our students' union uh, to, to get the message out to students, to try to uh, discourage their attendance at these things. Uh, the day of, it's really around the, the planning that, that Bylaw and, and the Hamilton Police have, have put in place to, to try to um, try to manage the situation. And then you can hope for rain. And that, that tends to dampen things down as well, <laughs> Certainly, uh, if, if there's bad weather. We're talking about uh, unsanctioned street parties, uh, fake homecomings at Mac and really at, uh, you know, other institutions that uh, do this sort of thing as well with uh, students who just uh, find the the need to party hard. Um, In regards to that, um, you know, you're you're getting the message out in the community. You're talking to students about these rules. How disappointed would you be as the dean of students if, in fact, this weekend we see a recurrence of what we've seen in the past? Well, you know, this is a, a phenomenon that, that is um, really not only province-wide, but across the country, we see these types of street parties. Um, and and I think it's not just MAC students there as well. There are, are members of uh, within Hamilton and beyond, other universities, high school students, et cetera, who attend these things. So um, I think it's it's difficult for any one group, including MAC, to to I would say control this type of thing. Um, I recognize that you know, in university students, it's part of the experience to want to socialize. Um, 
And so I'm not sure if disappointment's the word, but I, I think what we're trying to do is minimize the size of the gathering. We're trying to uh, uh, hopefully eliminate any of the things that happened. And it was, I think, about two or three years ago where we had a car being flipped. And when things things can get out of control in those types of, of large gatherings, whether it involves students or, or non-students. So, um, you know, I, I, think, I think we're trying to dissuade as many students as possible from going. Um, inevitably, uh, there will be some uh, some people that that elect to go, um, and so that that would be a, a little disappointing. But I, I can't say it's unexpected. These things are happening across the country, and unfortunately, they're also being promoted by um, there's a, a one website in particular, one Instagram account, I should say, that promotes these things. Um, they obviously don't bear any of the responsibility for what could happen at these things. They just think it's you know. Uh, uh, promoting a good time, but they don't they don't realize that there are risks involved and costs uh, to to the communities where these things happen. McMaster has not hosted a sanctioned homecoming for a few years. I think 2019 was the last time. Is there a conversation that maybe that should change at some point down the road? Yeah, there's there have been ongoing conversations every year. This comes up as a as a topic. Uh, some universities have gone down this road to say, well, let's let's try to hold some on-campus events and see if that has an impact. I know that, uh, for instance, it's just this past weekend, Western uh, uh, had on-campus events and actually invested uh, a fairly substantial amount of resources into that. Uh, there were still thousands of people, students on the street uh, in London. So um, my personal opinion is that it, it really doesn't, have an impact on uh on the, the size uh, of the street party uh, so uh, it's one of those things where you can hold events on campus and the minute you close them down uh there are after parties and where, where would the after party happen well it's going to happen on the street so i think it's a really difficult situation if there was a a uh, a magic pill we could develop that would solve this or, uh, you know, our, our communities would have done this by now. So we haven't gone down that road at this point. It's not to say it's completely off the table, but again, I'm a little skeptical that it's going to have much of an impact. In our final minute together, what have you heard from residents around Mac in terms of these kind of parties? Well, certainly it's 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 a point of concern for them. Uh, they, uh, they live in the neighborhood. They don't want to see uh, of course, anything happened to their their property, and they don't want to see any kind of uh, physical injury or incidents that that could occur in those types of gatherings. So certainly, there is concern. I know that last year, uh, generally speaking, the the neighbors were more satisfied with what went on. It was the year before that, as we were coming out of COVID, where it was larger than usual, maybe a little rowdier than usual. So uh, if we can continue on the trajectory of of uh, minimizing the size of the crowd and mitigating any or, or eliminating any uh, potential damage or instance that could occur. I think we're on the right track. Well, let's hope those uh, goals are achieved uh, this weekend and going ahead. Sean, thanks for the time today. Good luck. Thanks very much, Rick. Appreciate Sean, it. Sean Van Kunit, Associate VEP, Students and Learning and Dean of Students at McMaster University. And I know he was saying that one, one deterrent would be the weather. You know, if it rains, it's going to well, rain on their party, literally. Uh, the weather, unfortunately, for anyone hoping for rain, it's going to be anything but sunshine and low to mid-20s. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. If you are thinking about attending a party, well, do so way off campus. Go to a friend's house somewhere else and don't risk getting arrested, potentially, or getting fined up to $10,000. 
You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. National Truth and Reconciliation Day is Saturday. Really neat events coming up later on tonight at the Royal Botanical Gardens, in which I'm sure a lot of people who will attend, everyone who will attend, in fact, should learn a lot about the Mohawk Institute Residential School. And and we're going to hear an update on restoring survivors' memories at that institution. Rick Hill is a community historian and speaker at Telling the Truth, the Mohawk Institute Approaches a Milestone, which is the name of the event tonight at the RBG. Rick Hill, good morning. How are you today? Oh, good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. Can you give us a sneak peek of what will be discussed tonight? Well, we're going to take a look at um, our exhibition plan that we've been working on for several years of getting ready to uh, share the story of the building and of the Institute and of the survivors uh, in the oldest residential school in Canada, which is in Brantford, Ontario. How how big of a uh, of a hurdle did did everyone have to vault over to get to this day? It's quite a big job, as you can imagine, because we had to first collect the story. We had to find out what is the story of the building, what happened. Uh, and it's um, clouded by uh, by history, uh, sometimes some misinformation, disinformation, the lack of information. And uh, survivors, for the longest time, were reluctant to really talk about what happened to them there. But since uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh more and more of our survivors have stepped forward to share their story. We uh, found a lot of information in the uh, various archives. Uh, but it's also an emotional journey uh, for us as well as the uh, survivors, as you can imagine. Absolutely. It's a, it's a very tough story to tell. How many people did you speak with? And, and is there a story or two that really sticks out to you? Well, they're literally, I didn't speak to them directly, but the interviews were recorded over survivors uh, ever since... Uh, uh, people who went there in the evening, 1914s, uh, sometimes their impressions were, were captured in previous interviews. So we were able to use those. Uh, and uh, we, I personally interviewed, I would say, about 20 different uh, survivors to get their perspective on, on the matters. Yeah, there's a couple stories that really jump out at me. One is, and you got to remember, this happened to young kids. The, the school only went up to eighth grade for most of its life. And so... Uh, uh, when you hear from the survivors or read in the record, uh, the harm that was done to young children, you know, you can't help but think. I don't know if you have children. Uh, you know, you're talking about kids that are six, seven, eight, uh, even 12 years old. Uh, what they had to go through was just really devastating. So one young woman talked about um, when she first got there, because it's kind of it created kind of a prison mentality. She got jumped by the other students and got beat almost every day until she had to learn how to fight. Uh, one survivor said, in fact, if you didn't know how to fight before you got there, you, you knew how to fight before you got out. And so imagine it perverted everything that was normal in our society, maybe in in, in any civil society, and the, the children are suffering through that. Uh, they talked about how they learned how to lie, and cheat, and steal. But they also had to learn how to survive. Uh, and I think there's a certain resiliency that we noticed in some of the stories on that. No matter how tragic it was, there was this desire to persevere, to, to work your way through it. And so many survivors, although they're kind of like the walking wounded, 
emotionally, uh, what happened to them. They have also returned back to their culture to gain strength. Rick Hill is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick is a community historian and uh, one of the speakers at Telling the Truth. The Mohawk Institute approaches a milestone. That event is being held starting at 6.30 up until 8 tonight at the Rock Garden at the Royal Botanical Gardens. Tickets are $5. You can get them online. And, uh, you know, the story you just recounted, you know, there's a weight to that that, as we know, has been passed down from generation to generation uh, and, and this discussion must be had, and not just by the Indigenous community. I think we're all responsible, have a responsibility to share these stories and learn from one another and make sure this thing, this this doesn't happen again. Do you get a sense that that, that conversation is helping? Yeah, there's two kind of weights that are being carried by this. One um, of the survivors and their families, and it touched nearly every family at Six Nations, which is the largest Indigenous community in Canada. That's where my father is from. But there's also the, the weight of maybe not knowing. Uh, think of uh, we have uh, victims and we have perpetrators. And and for the longest time, uh, how do you want to say it? Tragedy gets hidden in people's families uh, on both sides. Uh, so there's not much record you know, of the, the kind of abuse that took place, except in the memory of the survivors. And so we have to, we have to take a hard look. It takes a lot of nerve sometimes to hear uh, carefully uh, through the pain and the suffering as to what the story really was and now we got to realize too there there's multiple truths there there there's you know ten thousand different stories uh, around every student's experience was uh, a little different some of them talk about having some great times you know and, and and trying to make the best of it but it's when you hear the repeated stories about the physical abuse the sexual abuse the emotional mental abuse you realize we have a long way to go to recover uh, and to heal Absolutely. Is is the end goal to make the Mohawk Institute building a, sort of a museum or a learning center? Is that is that the ultimate uh, you know plan here? As we think about it, uh, the building itself is an artifact because it's it's one of three buildings associated with this uh, history. The community decided rather than tear it down, let's turn it into this learning opportunity, this learning experience. So you'd be able to visit the building and and hear directly from the the uh, uh, survivors, uh, as well as uh, going through the space and learning. This is what happened in this room. This is what this room was for. There's a, there's four floors of exhibitions that will take place uh, there. It really uh, it get you as close as we possibly can to what it must have been like to have been a, a child uh, within this place. And we only got about 30 seconds. Is there a, um, uh, a date in terms of when this is going to be open to the public? Well, we're shooting for September a year from now. Uh, it's going to take a while to, to get the exhibits uh, finished, to get everything installed in place. But that's that's the date that we're shooting for. Well, good luck with that. And we'll all be uh, very interested to learn more about uh, what happened all those years ago and, and continue the conversation, which is what we're going to continue to do. Rick, thank you for your time. Best of luck tonight. Okay, thank you. Rick Hill is a community historian and one of the speakers at Telling the Truth. The Mohawk Institute approaches a milestone that is being held at the Royal Botanical Gardens Rock Garden tonight, 6.30 up until 8. Tickets are $15 and proceeds will directly benefit the Woodland Cultural Center, which is a vital organization dedicated to promoting Indigenous art, history, and culture. So that's a great event being held tonight. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. House of Commons Speaker Anthony Rota finally yesterday announced he was stepping down. It's with a heavy heart that I rise to inform members 
of my resignation as Speaker of the House of Commons. It happened four days after he invited a man who fought for the Nazis to attend a speech by Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. That public recognition has caused pain to individuals and communities, including the Jewish community in Canada and around the world, in addition to survivors of Nazi atrocities in Poland, among other nations. Not a good look. Shirley Hay, head shaker, that embarrassment, that anger over what has happened is still wafting over Parliament Hill. And here to talk about it is Jack Cunningham, program coordinator at Trinity College's Bill Graham Center for Contemporary International History. Jack, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. And you? I'm good. Everyone is asking, how in the heck does something like this happen? What's your best guess? My best guess is that... uh, Speaker Rota, or former Speaker Rota, rather, and those on his staff are abysmally ignorant of history. You don't have to be an expert on the Second World War to know that after Hitler invaded the Soviet Union, the Russians were on our side. Uh, And nobody seems to have twigged to that, which is astonishing. It's mind-boggling, really. Uh, What else is mind-boggling is... The Prime Minister, who has not been in the House since Zelensky's visit on Friday, and he's getting slammed for it, in my opinion, rightfully so, he should be there. Why do you think he has not addressed this in the House? Because I don't think he has anything plausible to say in uh, in extenuation of the government's uh, colossal own goal here. He, uh, he, he, I, th- I think it was rather crass of him to put up uh, Karina Gould, who is a descendant of Holocaust uh, uh, victims, to, uh, to answer Mr. Polya for yesterday, uh, rather crass, and it didn't take uh, the heat off him either. Uh, you mentioned Karina Gould, a Burlington MP, who also asked for the public recognition of Hunka to be erased from the docket, which might be just as worse. Well, it doesn't undo the, uh, the fact that this colossal mistake was made in the first place. Yeah, and to try to erase it, and I, th- I think it's the wrong way to go. I'm not sure if she was ordered to do so, but it's not a good look for this government. No, and given, I'm, I'm pretty sure she was ordered to say that because this is a government that pretty much operates from the top down. Key decisions are made in the PMO, and I see no reason to doubt that in a case like this uh, there would be any difference. Jack Cunningham is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mr. Cunningham is the program coordinator of Trinity College's Bill Graham Center for Contemporary International History. What kind of damage has this done to Canada's brand on the international scene? Well, it's a colossal embarrassment. We look uh, foolish. This is amateur hour on the Rito. And it makes it, uh, it makes it harder, and it was already hard enough, for uh, Canada to be taken seriously. I mean, we uh, a few years ago, we had uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's uh, disastrous visit to India. Our relations with India are now even worse. He uh, He's taken to uh, lecturing the Italian and other governments about LGBT rights and so on. Uh, and uh, when it comes to defense spending, we're still far from, uh, from meeting the, uh, the 2% benchmark. And the Prime Minister has said himself that we never will meet it. So we're not taken seriously under this government. And and after this, we just look even worse. Canada has supported Ukraine uh, pretty much since day one of Russia's invasion. Uh, do you think this relationship is now strained because of what happened on Friday? Well, it's an embarrassment and an insult to President Zelensky. And uh, the, uh, the gaffe by the speaker is a bit of a gift to Mr. Putin, who has been charging all along that uh, Ukrainians are Nazis in this. I think we may have lost Jack. Jack, you still with us? 
Well, we'll uh, bid adieu to Jack Cunningham. Jack, uh, thanks for the time today. Jack Cunningham, Program Coordinator, Trinity College's Bill Graham Center for Contemporary International History. Yeah, it does feed into what Russian President Vladimir Putin has been saying all along. You know, wrongly so, but still his argument was validated by what happened on Friday. Hey, we got to get all those Nazis out of Ukraine. And then on Friday, Canada's parliament is honoring someone who fought for the Nazis. It's just, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You cannot make this stuff up. And so finally, it was finally nice to see Mr. Rota resign. It was the only thing he could do. I mean, he lost confidence in the House. There was no way out for him. No way out. Whether his staff or the prime minister's staff vetted Yaroslav Hunka or not, that was the only logical conclusion to this national, international embarrassment. And so who the next House Speaker is going to be, we don't know. They're jockeying for position as we speak. But I still think the Prime Minister has to get up in the House of Commons. And I know he's going to take the heat, and, and he should. I mean, that, this, this is coming from the ruling party. But he's got to step, out in the, step up in the House of Commons and say, listen, we goofed. We goofed large, and we're sorry for that and should apologize to especially the Jewish community and all Canadians. This, this kind of stuff just cannot happen. 900 CHML and the Art Gallery of Hamilton want to send you to the AGH Festival from October 12th to the 21st. 10 days of arts and culture. Enter online at 900CHML.com for a chance to win one of two packages. that includes the AGH Festival package and the AGH Festival Concert Package. All the details, enter online at 900CHML.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900CHML. Exciting news about Grey Cup Week dropped yesterday when we learned that multi-Grammy Award winner Carrie Underwood is going to headline a concert November 17th as part of the Built in the Hammer Grey Cup Festival here in Hamilton. The show is going to be held, as I said, November 17th, first Ontario Centre. And here to tell us about it is Matt Affinek, the COO and President of Business Operations with Hamilton Sports Group. Matt, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Rick. Thanks for having me. Man, this announcement has created a big buzz in the city. How exciting is it in the offices at Tim Hortons Field and uh, around this city? Are you feeling the buzz? Well, we are. And, uh, you know, I think that's representative of, uh, I guess, today we are going to be 51 days away from uh, this event actually happening on Friday evening. So uh, we're close. But, uh, yeah, listen, when we announced our festival uh, back in August uh, and, and a lot of the kind of big ideas and big programming ideas, we alluded to there being more to come around the music. And, and we talked about this Grey Cup being about football uh, and music. And uh, obviously, uh, yesterday's announcement was uh, a significant first step uh, in terms of clarifying exactly what our music festival will look like. And, and that will come together over the course of four days, uh, obviously Thursday down at OLG stage in Niagara Falls, Friday and Saturday at First Ontario Centre, uh, obviously with Carrie Underwood going Friday night, uh, and then the game day music as well on Sunday. So when you pull all that together, it's really a music festival within a football festival. So uh, we're pretty excited about what's to come here. Absolutely. Pre-sale access to these tickets are going to be open first to all Grey Cup ticket holders and then tickets for the general public uh, are going to go on sale this Saturday at 10 a.m. Now, I understand that Underwood is just one of a number of world-class artists that are going to be included in the Grey Cup concert series. When can we expect these other announcements to be made? 
over the course of the coming, you know, days and weeks, Rick, obviously we want to keep the excitement going and keep people engaged and interested in terms of what we're up to. So uh, as I said, there's really, you know, four or five other material music uh, announcements uh, that you can anticipate and expect over the coming uh, days and weeks as Grey Cup gets closer. Common question that I heard for most of the day yesterday was, wow, if Carrie Underwood is headlining on Friday night, the Grey Cup halftime performer has got to be a massive artist. Can you give us any hints? Well, what I can say, Rick, is I admire your consistency. I think every time, the numerous times we've spoken about the Grey Cup, you always ask me about halftime. So thank you for your (laughs) profound consistency. Uh, in doing so. Yeah, we're very excited about what uh, our partners at the league and what we're up to with with halftime. Uh, I will just tell the listeners to stand by because uh, that announcement uh, is coming and uh, we think it's pretty big. This is going to be the first time since 2016 that Carrie Underwood is going to play in Hamilton. Was was it an easy negotiation or, or was this difficult? Well, like anything worthwhile, there's always, you know, kind of complexities, but we have, we have good partners and in the end, uh, you know, I think there was a shared will to, you know, the Grey Cup is a big event. From a Canadian perspective, it's it's arguably the biggest. So, you know, I think you work with great people, you work with great partners, and, uh, you know, great things can happen. So uh, we're excited we're able to get this done. Now we're just hoping that the Tiger Cats are in the game. Can you do anything about that? Uh, we are working on it, and it will start <laughs> in earnest uh, this Saturday against Calgary. Obviously a big game, 7 o'clock here at Tim Hortons Field. It's going to be great to see them in action. It's going to be awesome to see Carrie Underwood back in Hamilton as well, and we can't wait for the other announcements to be made. Matt, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck this weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rick. Thanks again to Matt Affinick, COO, President of Business Operations with the Hamilton Sports Group. Those tickets, pre-sale is going to be open to Grey Cup ticket holders tomorrow, and then the general public can scoop up the rest of the tickets, whatever's left, as of 10 a.m. on Saturday. And, yeah, very excited to hear what the halftime show is going to be, who's going to be the performer on the Saturday night. Exciting times here in Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, lots of excitement is brewing because tonight, tonight is the night that someone somewhere in this country is going to win a record-breaking Lotto 649 jackpot. Here to talk about it is the Director of Media Relations with the OLG, Tony Batanti. Tony, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. I have my ticket. I hope others do as well. Tell us about this mega-million jackpot tonight. Yeah, and I thank you for your support, and the people of Ontario thank you for your support as well, because, you know, all of the profits from OLG go back to the province of Ontario. But we want to talk about giving millions millions of dollars away, and in this case, you're right, $68 million is the biggest prize for Lotto 649. We've never reached that amount before. But the also exciting part of this whole thing is that it's a guaranteed jackpot. Someone will win $68 million tonight. I hope it's in Ontario. We're not sure where because it's a it's a it's a cross-Canada game. But we made some changes to 649 last year. And it's you know it's 41 years old. We wanted to make sure that it was a, it was an exciting game. It's still fresh for the customers. And we know that uh, that we made these changes. The jackpot is now 
now growing and it's, we introduced this gold ball element too. So, it, you know, you can still pick your six, 40, six out of 49 numbers. You can win a $5 million jackpot. But then there was that guaranteed portion of it as well too. So we introduced gold ball. There's 29 gold uh, white balls, one gold ball. Each time those white balls drop, someone gets that million dollar prize, but the jackpot keeps growing. So now for 30 draws, that gold ball is not dropped. Hmm. The gold ball is the only one left to drop. We know it's dropping tonight. That's why we can say someone will win $68 million tonight. That's the exciting part about this whole thing. Wow, that is pretty exciting. And does that ball have a certain number? Because I know every ticket has a different gold ball number. No, so the the gold ball does not have a number, okay. but it is associated with that guaranteed number that you get. So when you pick your six out of 49 numbers, you buy that ticket, but then it comes with a 10-digit guaranteed number. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of consider it like a raffle. That number is unique just to you. That goes into the draw. And of those numbers that were included in that draw, not again, not from six to four, not from one to 49, but just that 10-digit number, some that number is going to be pulled and that one again usually wins about a million dollars but because that gold ball is the only one left that is falling tonight and that is associated with 68 million dollars so that will happen this evening and that's never happened before lotto max again just like the regular ones you have to pick one to 50 numbers and you have to wait for those different balls to drop but this one because of that guaranteed number again like a raffle draw you get one half of the ticket the other half goes into the bin that's how it's going to be pulled and that that's why that gold ball is worth 68 million dollars well, that is pretty exciting we knowing that there is going to be a winner tonight who knows where it's going to be and this all comes just what two three four months after the lotto max uh, you know, seventy yes. million dollar ticket expired. Uh, so yes. we got we got a good vibe going finally. Yeah, you know what? And and that's the other thank you for re- reminding us about that though, too. We don't want any money left on the table. So when you buy your tickets from the retailer, check them right away. Check them on the OLG app. Go into the store. Uh, you know, make sure they're in a safe location and check them often. Or if you want, you can, here's a shameless plug, you can buy it on olg.ca <laughs> and in fact, you get an email if you win too. So we take the checking away from from you, <laughs> the worry of checking, we take that away from you if you buy it on olg.ca. But again, you go to our retailers, there's 10,000 of them across the province. They love your support and but make sure you check those tickets right away because especially if there's a $68 million winner in Ontario, I don't want that money left on the table. It's not my money, it's someone's money out there. So we want to give that away. I love giving away the big checks, Rick. Oh, I, I'd imagine so. We are eagerly anticipating where this ticket is going to be won. Tony, thanks for the time. Uh, we're all waiting with bated Thank breath. You. Enjoy the evening. Thank you very much, and good luck to everyone out there. I appreciate your support. Thanks, Rick. Excellent. Tony Batante, Director of Media Relations with OLG. You can get your ticket online, as he mentioned, olg.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Innovation Factory's 13th Lions Lair Startup Pitch Competition is going to come to an exciting close tonight at a gala event at Carmen's Banquet Center. And it's going to bring together, as usual, 
the biggest and brightest innovators and entrepreneurs in this city. And tomorrow from 9 to noon, live from Innovation Factory at McMaster Innovation Park, CHML's Shona Thompson is going to host the Lion's Lair Post Gala Show with the winners, some of the judges, and a whole lot of fun to be had, I'm sure, tonight and tomorrow as well. Here to talk about it is David Carter. David is the CEO of Innovation Factory and joins us on GMH. David, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me today. Uh, all ready for tonight? Uh I wish I could say yes, but, you know, the day before, the day of is always a lot of panic. So uh, lots lots to do, lots to tweak. How does this work? We, we've had the 10 finalists on the air talking about their inventions, their innovations. When it comes to tonight, what are people that will be at Carmen's Banquet Center going to see? You know, tonight is, is mostly a celebration. They're going to pitch. Uh, the judges have already judged them. Tonight, there's sort of a final judging with their live pitch. And and last year, I saw the finalists that were chosen and I saw a little switch at the end based on, you know, who pitched the best. So there's a little bit of competitiveness tonight. But for the most part, a lot of the hard work has been done. They've been in front of a ton of partners. Uh, They've received a ton of exposure. Again, thanks to you guys for for some of that. And, um, you know, if tonight didn't happen... They would have received a ton of benefit, but tonight's you know the celebration. Let's all get in a room and and you know cheer these folks on. When it comes to the judging, because there are so many amazing pitches uh, that that we found out about over the last number of weeks, it, it, are, are the judges looking at something specific? I.e., you know this company has uh, the potential to do something great, and maybe more so than the other nine finalists. Is that is that amongst the criteria they're looking at? That's a piece of it because, you know, some people come in with an amazing idea and, you know, they're like, hey, we're going to feed the world. They're the, uh, and you go, great idea, but you have to look at their plan. Will they be able to do this? Will they be able to fund what they need to fund to do this? Uh, you know, there's a lot of great ideas, but people don't know how to get them in front of the customer and and, and they die in the body. I mean, we've all seen the crappy ideas on infomercials <laughs> that sell millions, right? So there's so many pieces to it to end up in success. You know, the judges are really looking at them from a lot of angles. David Carter is the CEO of Innovation Factory. They are hosting their 13th Lion's Lair Startup Pitch Competition Gala event tonight at Carmen's Banquet Center. It is a sold-out event tonight as we uh, celebrate some of the great young minds in this community. And tomorrow from Mount Noon, Shona Thompson is going to be hosting the Lion's Lair Post Gala Show live from Innovation Factory. I know there are prizes up for grabs tonight. What will some of the winners receive? Wow, they're going to split. I think the total now is sixty thousand dollars. Wow! Um, you know, and again, the, the cash is important, uh, and that's a large amount of money in some ways, and in other ways, it's not. You know, we've got some in the uh, medical space of which you can burn through that money pretty quick. So, you know, that's a piece of it. Um, again, the contacts they make are a huge piece of it. We try to remind them that you know this is a little bit of an artificial competition in the sense that none of these 10 companies would compete in the real world. They're so diverse and <laughs> offer such different services. So they're never going to be competing for, you know, the almighty customer uh, in the, in the real world. So, you know, it's experience. It, it sounds, it sounds like a cliche, right? You're all winners and someone's going to leave with money, but the experience and the contacts that that part's been already handed to all of them. Among the finalists, we we've uh, obviously we had all ten on the air. They dealt with healthcare. They dealt with death. They dealt with uh, improving mobility uh, and and in all ages. Um, speak to this year's crop of innovators and entrepreneurs. Is this the most diverse, most exciting group we've seen? 
I think so. I think, um, you know, Hamilton, of course, is getting into so much more in the life science space. So we're seeing that reflected in lines there. There's a bunch in that place. But like you said, there's uh, we're talking about life. We're talking about death. Um, we're talking about our food source with, you know, one company, Bug Mars, it's talks about uh, how you manage your bug farm and bugs are being used for protein and animal food. Um, you know, we talk about uh, therapeutics for, for people or, or even, even podcasting. One of the companies, AI Valley is all about when you are doing what you do today, how do you remove all those bumps and clicks and ums and ahs? And they've using some AI to help do that first pass of cleanup for the editors. You know, when we have Mintier, a, a, you know, company that's all about fresher breath. So, you know, it is kind of funny to see, all these different companies that would never compete in the real world, but find it out tomorrow or tonight. Some uh, some amazing ideas for sure. David, we'll have to leave it there. Congrats on getting uh, this far once again with the 13th annual Lions Lair Startup Pitch Competition. Really looking forward to tonight's event and tomorrow's wrap-up show. And thanks for the time today. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. You got it. David Carter, CEO, Innovation Factory. He'll be one of the guests on tomorrow's post-gala show from 9 to noon, hosted by CHML's Shona Thompson. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Here's a question for you. How many Ontario cities can you rattle off the top of your head? Think about that for a minute. I'm going to guess that you'd be able to, with very little effort at all, really, Name at least a couple of dozen cities and towns across our province, just like that, right? Hamilton, Ancaster, Dundas, Stony Creek, Mount Hope, uh, Grimsby, Waterdown, Burlington, Brantford, Caledonia. Those are just some of the towns and cities around here. But have you ever tried to take a bunch, and I mean a bunch, of names of Ontario towns and cities and wedge them into a story? Probably thinking, Rick, where are you going with this? Well... Jim from the Taz and Jim Morning Show on Y108 did just that. And not only did they recently share this masterpiece on air, it has received a tremendous response on social media. Now listen, Y108 being Hamilton's best rock, they are allowed and even encouraged to get a little uh, risque, let's say. And by no means is what we're about to play for you anything close to being X-rated, but it might be a good idea if there are any children or grandchildren hanging around your radio right now to make sure they're tuned into something else. Because I bring for your listening pleasure this morning what is called the Ontario Swinger Story, written and performed by Jim from the Taz and Jim Morning Show on Why Went Away. Jim has created a raunchy yet hilarious short story using the names of a bunch of Ontario towns, and you're going to hear a bunch of them, I want you to guess how many you hear. You will hear towns like Dundas, Hagersville, and Waterdown as well. So here now is the Ontario Swinger Story. It's the Ontario Swinger Story with Jim Kelly. So last weekend, I was at a hotel bar drinking a few Ajax and Cokes, feeling a little tired, a little Hagersville, when this absolute Foxborough brushes by me. And I'm telling you, the Dundas on her was unbelievable. I could see her Nepeans poking through her blows. Just, it is killing it. <laughs> and I'm not great at pickering up women, but she was clearly giving me the Ionas. All of a sudden, this gray-haired dude sits down next to me, Ferd, and he goes, you like what you see? I say, maybe, what's your kettle point? He goes, that's my wife, so let's just clear the air here. I want you to get watered down with her back at our place tonight. Oh, boy. I says, are you effing him with me? 
we talking full penetanguishing here? He says, well, yeah, I'm not as young's point as I used to be. I got this Thor old back, and I just can't throw it Downsville like I used to. So now we like to get a little King Cora, and I'm what they call a Cookstown. No, I won't be directly involved. I'll just be sitting in the Whalen's Corners watching and smoking a Belmont. So at this point, I'm a little buzzed. I'm a little Hornings Mills. I say... Well, why in Ottawa? So we get in the car low, me and his wife in the back seat. I don't know which way we're going, but for most of the drive, she's leaving tin to me, rubbing my legs. She starts putting them fingers down my pants. I almost cream wore my jeans by the time we pull into the laneway. I had a bit of a 40 eerie feeling in my gut as we walk into the house, but shook it off. So they guide me to their spare bedroom, which was a, a little gross, to be honest. Smelled Vanastra in there, big stainer on the mattress. And to be honest, they, they both kind of smelled like they did in Bothwell. But at that point, I'm pot hawk committed, so a man's got to do what a man in Tulin's got to do, right? So me and her, we both drop our drawers. She shows me her snug harbor. Now, she was a little Harriston. But I'm not afraid to mount forest. So I whip out my Collingwood and Innis filler. I swear, we're both about to Kamoka when I feel something tickling my balls falls. So I, I spin around and Caledonia know it. The husband is standing behind me, beating this massive Reddickville. I mean, this thing was huge. It had a grand bend in it. Guy's wearing a vibrating Cochrane, too, and he tries to tillbury it into my Brownsville. I says, hey, buddy, are you Falkland kidding me? I, I, I wanted to get freaky, but I didn't sign up for some sort of middle sex. And that's when the husband says, hey, uh, listen, if you let me punky doodle your Cornwall, I'll give you five grand and I'll let you use my cottage in Muskoka for the weekend. His cottage in Muskoka for the weekend. Can you believe this guy? No. So anyway, Taz, what are you doing next week? You want to come to Muskoka with me and your wife? <laughs> the Ontario Swinger story from Jim from the Taz and Jim Morning Show on Brother Station. Why would I wait? A fantastic, fantastic feature. A little risque. Hey, I warned you. How many Ontario towns did you pick up there? A couple dozen? Actually, more than that. 54 Ontario towns were mentioned in that feature. Hey, listen, I want you... Uh, if you need or want to time out from GMH, I encourage you to listen to the Taz and Jim Show weekday mornings, 530 to 9 on CHML Brother Station. Why? 108, they have a lot of fun over there. Uh, by the way, have you, been, have you been caught up in the latest celebrity pro-athlete romance? Well, if you've been living under a rock... Or just not concerned about this sort of thing at all. Singing sensation Taylor Swift and Kansas City Chiefs tight end Ta uh, Travis Kelsey are a thing. And virtually everyone is talking about it. Now, near, neither Kelsey nor Swift are commenting on rumors of a romance. But Swift did attend last Sunday's Kansas City Chicago Bears game. And sat next to Kelsey's mom. So something's up, right? The two were also seen walking into the stadium together after the game. Now, here's the benefit that Travis Kelsey has realized. Sales of his jersey have skyrocketed since Swift showed up at his game on Sunday, and she wasn't even wearing his jersey. Fanatics, which includes NFL Shop, which sells, sells the merchandise for the National Football League, says sales of Kelsey's jersey are up 400% since Sunday, and it's now among the top five NFL jerseys in terms of sales. Kelsey has also gained about 300,000 new Instagram followers, so he's benefiting big time. And if you can't get enough of this newfound romance, and if you're a diehard Swifty and you, you just need to get more, you can now bet 
on their new relationship, on sports books like Bodog, which is now taking bets on a number of aspects of their relationship. Yeah, believe it or not. Taylor Swift to be pictured attending a Chiefs game this season while sitting next to Brittany Mahomes, who's Patrick Mahomes' wife. You can bet on that. You can bet on whether or not Taylor Swift is going to be interviewed by the Kelsey brothers on their New Heights podcast this year. There's also a bet in which Taylor Swift will release a single that she confirms she has written about Travis Kelsey by the end of next year. Whether you're a football fan or not, place your bets. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.